Welcome to The Forge, a podcast for barbers by two guys who know hair. My name is Carson. And my name is Kyle, and together we run Forge Hairscape, a men's grooming product line. So Kyle and I just got back from the Miami Health and Wealth Summit that Jay Majors and Pacino's put on this past weekend. I'm sure we have a lot of new listeners that discovered our company and this podcast in Miami. So if that's you, welcome to The Forge Barber Podcast. We have an incredible episode in store for you today. Our guest is Tyreek Jackson. If you're a barber and you're tech-savvy enough to find this podcast, you probably already know who he is. You've seen him on Instagram. He's a super inspirational guy. He's an educator at heart, and we had an awesome conversation with Tyreek. It lasted over an hour, so this is going to be a long episode, but you've got to listen to every second of it. If you've got a 10-minute commute to the shop, break it up over several days, because you're not going to want to miss it. We talk about his unusual beginnings, how getting in trouble for singing possibly kickstarted his barbering career. We then talk with Tyreek about social media and what he calls the facade of success and how it's plaguing the barbering industry. We talk about social justice and the role of the barbershop in our community, and then we end with an inspirational story about a man named Jeff Gumprint. All right, we are here with Tyreek Jackson. He is the owner of the Premier Barber Institute, and he has a couple barbershops as well, uh, the Sharper Image Barbershops in Pennsylvania. Um, he's been cutting hair for 28 years. Um, he is a social media influencer. Uh, you might know him from his Instagram. Tyree talks a lot about success. He talks a lot about, you know, haircutting and tutorials as well. How's it going, Tyreek? All is well, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, man. We, uh, it's good to have you here. What's your, uh, what's your Instagram handle so we can just go ahead and plug that up at the beginning? Yeah, so Instagram is, you can follow me on all social media platforms at I-A-M. T-Y-R-I-K Jackson. I am Tyreek Jackson. And that came up because uh, people would ask me my name and I'd say, how you doing? I'm Tyreek Jackson. I'm like, I'm just going to keep that, you know, you introduce, <laughs> you shake somebody's hands. Like, I don't need anything fancy. This is who I am. Yeah, it's true. When did you, I know, you know, I know you, a lot of your family members and people that know you from the past call you Joe or, or Joel. Yeah, Joel when, is my middle name. When did you, when did you switch over to so Tyreek? No, I've, I've always been Tyreek. I've always been Tyreek. Okay. Um, you know, in middle school, elementary school, my name's Tyree Jackson. You know, as I was going through, uh, they're like, is there anything you want us to call you? I just was always, I would always introduce myself as Tyree. Um, when my friends would get introduced to my family, people would say Joe or Joel. And then my friends would be like, who? Like, who? you know, and then <laughs> and then it would come up and it's like, yeah. So it happens every now and again. Someone who's been close to the family that calls me Joe or Joel when they come to the barber school and they'll say something like, yeah, because Joe, when we was kids and all the students are like, Joe, Joe who, who, who's that? So, yeah, it happens from time to time. I feel you. How did you um, I, I know, you know, I just wanted you to briefly get into like how you got started in the industry. Uh, what got you into barbering? So the, the, the what happened for me was um, I live by a model, serve your needs by serving the needs of others first. And I was uh, I got in trouble for singing in school. And I got sent to the uh, dean's office, and he he says to me, "You like singing, huh?" And I was like, "No." And he was like, "Well, <laughs> obviously you do, because this paperwork right here says that you were singing an interrupted class." So he says to me, he gives me an ultimatum. He says, "You're gonna sing right now." And I was like, "No, I'm not." He goes, "Cool, three days out of school suspension." I said, "No, hold on, wait a minute." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he says, "Well, if you sing, then I'll consider changing that." So I sang because I didn't want to deal with my dad, like being, you know, I was yeah. like, I don't want to deal with that at all. So I sang and he was like, great, you're going to join my uh, my Black History Month, uh, you know, um, competition this week. And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't want I didn't <laughs> sign up for that. 
I said, you can just give me the three days out of school suspension for all that. And he was just like, no, you're going to do this. And so he just kind of let me know. And I was like, I really didn't want the three days out of school suspension. So I sang at the talent show. And when I left that talent show, there was a guy in the audience. His name was Champ Hall. He had stopped me. He's like, man, you did such a great job. Do you need a ride home? I'm like, I don't know you. You don't know me. Probably not good idea. No. And he was like, no, I know your parents, blah, 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 blah. And we're talking 1993. He has like this big leather cell phone. I'm talking about New Jack City, you know, pouch. The only people who had a cell phone like that was a drug dealer or a doctor. That's it. <laughs> so he didn't look like a doctor. I just assumed this guy was a drug dealer. So I was like, nah, I'm, I'm cool, man. Don't worry about it. And he's like, look, I know your mom. Da, da, da. You can use my phone. So I did use his phone to call my mom. And she said, yeah, I know him. He's cool. Like, it's fine. He can give you a ride home. He gives me a ride home. And on the way home, he stops past his barbershop. And I remember it clear as day. Like, I remember it was nighttime. The lights were on. And he pulls up. And I'm like, what's this? I don't live here. And he goes, no, no, no. This is my barbershop. I'm going to get some. So now I'm like, oh, not a drug dealer. He's a barbershop owner, you know? And so I thought that was pretty cool. So I'm like, all right. So now I'm feeling cool. I'm feeling a little bit better about this whole scenario. And um, that was a Friday night. So on Monday, I went to the school. Uh, after school, I went to the barbershop, but barbershops traditionally were closed on Mondays. And then I went back on Tuesday. And when I went back on Tuesday, I grabbed a broom, started sweeping. He's like, hey, this is the kid I was talking about. And just the energy in the barbershop, the vibe, you know, and I felt important. You know, they made me feel important, you know, and I wasn't even getting a haircut. But so I really liked the, the vibe in there. But I really went to show my appreciation for giving me a ride home. That was it. You know, he gave me a ride home. I didn't have any money to give him. I already told him thank you. But what was the way that I can show appreciation and add value to him for giving me a ride home? You know, and so that's really where it started for me. And um, I started cutting hair in my house in the, in the basement. Um, my mom wouldn't let me cut hair in the uh, my bedroom. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to cut in the living room. The porch was fine, but I wanted something that was going to be a little more stable. So she said, you can have the basement. You know, I took what I could get. I was cutting in the basement, messing up all the kids in the neighborhood. Moms were coming back saying, who did this? I was like, I did it. <laughs> who said you can do it? I said it was free, you know. <laughs> And, um, you know, over time I just kept cutting, but I didn't reveal that I was cutting like to champ cause I was still going up there for a free haircut, uh, every Tuesday. So I cleaned the windows for a haircut. And then one day it was a, it was an ice cream festival and he saw, uh, um, a youth leader who worked around the house, around the corner from my house that was, you know, he was servicing all the kids that I was cutting. So he was like their youth, um, counselor or whatever and he came and got a haircut so i was cutting his hair and, and champ saw him at this ice cream festival and then he gave me a call he said hey i saw some guy down at the ice cream festival do you know bryce i'm like yeah yeah i cut this guy he said did you cut his hair i'm like yeah he's like that was a mean haircut he said would you like to cut this weekend and it would happen to be like easter weekend and so i was like uh yeah heck yeah i'll come up <laughs> You know, so I cut that weekend and really, really got into the shop vibe. If everybody knew me for the cleanup kid, but they didn't know I was cutting hair. So uh, I went in there, no station, no mirror, no chair. You know, I was going to take like a little uh, uh, fold bucket chair, whatever, and just cut. And I called my dad and I said, hey, Champs, let me cut in his barbershop for Easter weekend. 
And he went and got his friend. They pulled my barber chair that I had in the basement, brought it up there, and I was cutting in the shop. That's awesome. Man, so that's you awesome. said that you didn't tell Champ you were cutting hair in the beginning. Yeah. So did you, how did you, what did you use to learn how to cut hair? Was it just all trial and error? Did you? Well, it was really uh, visual. I was in the shop sweeping. While I was sweeping, I was looking, you know. And, yeah. and one day I had asked Champ, I said to him, I said, hey, you know, you should teach me how to do this. And he told me no. And I was like, no. He said, no, I went to school. Here's my license on the wall. You should go to school. You know, and I was like, for real? I said, dude, I'm in here every day. I'm cleaning. I'm doing. But we didn't have a barber school. So I okay. said, where's the barber school? He said, barber school's in Harrisburg, which was like 45 minutes away from me. We didn't even, my, me and my mom, we didn't have a car. I had a skateboard. There was no way I was going to get to Harrisburg. You know what I mean? So I was like, dang, like, how's that going to work? I'm still in school. You know, I can't get to Harrisburg. So I looked at all the problems I had. So I was like, well, you got to figure out how to cut hair anyway. So I didn't tell him mostly because I didn't want to get discouraged not to do it because I wasn't going to school. And when he saw that I was cutting hair and then it like clicked, like, holy crap, he's really doing it. Like he was serious. They would give me tips every now and again. I'd be like, why'd you do that? And they'd say this. And why'd you do that? And they'd say that. And I would do some of the stuff and I would just go home and replicate it. And I remember one day after Champ knew I was cutting hair, he came down, he called me up. He said, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, I'm at the house cutting. He's like, you cutting? So this was after I had worked that Easter weekend. It was just that weekend. It wasn't like a full-time job. And he said, well, I'm going to stop by. And I was like, holy crap, Champ's on his way. And I'm cutting this guy's hair. So it's got to look good. And he came to my to my house and he stood on my porch. And I never showed, shared this story. So this is interesting. He he, he saw the haircut I was doing. And, and to, to describe to the listeners what I was dealing with, you had a really fair-skinned, like, Latino dude with really, really dense black prickly hair so the contrast was extreme and uh because it was so dense like you really had to go over it to make sure it was really bald unless you had really strong tools so you know we're talking 1993 four you know tools weren't some of the technology we have today and so you know and even youtube and, and instagram and social media didn't exist so what i learned was what i saw in the barbershop so when he came down he saw the guys cut he's like this is pretty good and uh, he said, let me show you something. And then he pulled the skin real tight. And he said, this is how you make it a little bit tighter. So then he actually went into actually showing me some more stuff, you know. And then um, one day he called me and said, hey, look, Charlie's probably not going to work out. Um, if he doesn't show up to work today, you got a full-time job, you know. But he did encourage me to go to school, though. He said, look, you can come in and cut, but I still want you to go to school. So um, that's pretty much how that started. That's awesome, man. I mean, and, and you know, the rest uh, is history. You've been extremely successful in the industry, not just as a barber, but, you know, as an owner and an educator as well. And I know, you know, you talk a lot about success on on your Instagram channel. Um, you know, one thing I remember you were talking about, um, you know, and it, it was also in the context of, of managing employees and motivating uh, barbers in your shop. You were talking about, uh, your. I think your, your mom used to say you can't, uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Mm -hmm. But if you put enough salt in his oats, mm -hmm. then, you know, he's going to drink. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and then you also kind of talked about, um, that was the same video you're talking about. It's, you know, my gun and, and your bullets that you would be listening to like what people's motivations are. And anytime they make an excuse or a complaint or, uh, you'd kind of remind them, uh, you know, why they're doing it to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess my question to you is like, 
who was that person for you? Like, what was that saw for you? And then who was that person that was that was shooting those bullets for you? So, so when when we talk about the salt and the oats, the horse wants to eat, right? It wants to eat. You give him oats, you give him an apple, he's gonna eat, right? They mix all that stuff up and give him something to eat. But if you put enough salt in his oats indirectly, you're gonna cause the horse to drink because it's going to be very thirsty. No different than if you go to the bar, they serve you pretzels and peanuts and stuff because if you're drinking salty stuff, you're gonna get thirsty, you're gonna keep drinking. It's the same same thought process. So my mom was saying, if you want somebody to do something for you, you gotta put enough salt in their oats. You gotta, they're gonna wanna do something how do you get them to do what you need them to do? So it's almost like a form of, of, of good manipulation, right? You know, you the horse needs to drink water. It needs to eat, but it needs to drink water. And so uh, she she used that metaphor for me because, you know, she, she was describing, I can't force the head into the water, but if I need them to drink and I want to win the bet, right? If I want to win the bet, I bet you I can make this horse drink. Right. Right. You have to know something that they don't know. And so the information is the salt. The information is I know that I put enough salt in this oats that if you bet me, I'm going to make this horse drink. And so when she was saying in business, how do you get people to function? How do you get people to to want to work or to want to thrive or to want to be successful or to serve in the business? You got to put enough salt in their oats. They want to make money. They want to earn Right. But what's going to be the salt that's going to make them work hard and you got to find the pain. And so when it comes to when it comes to every time I'm talking to someone like, how do you get find the pain? You got to find the thing that's going to push them. And so when it comes to uh, guns and ammo, what the reference, the metaphor I was using for that was whenever so it's funny because I, I just took it off. So, right. So <laughs> what, what's funny is um, when I. um when I'm, I'm I'm talking to somebody, what I do is um, I basically ask them, "What is it that you want?" Right? Tell me, tell me what you want. And basically, what they do is they give me a little bit of information. This information, I sit it in here, and I'm loading my empty gun. Right? I'm loading it up. I'm loading it up. I'm putting the that's the information that they've given me. Uh, so they say, you know, I want to buy a house in two years information you know um or you know i want to sell my car and eventually get xyz that's this information what do you want do you want to be an owner one day do you want to manage one day and then i'm going to hold you accountable to what you say that is so i i need to give them the information which is the salt that's going to make them drink but i need to take what they're giving me which is their pain and use that against them in a way that's going to help benefit them not in a way that's going to hurt them. See, there are manipulators out here that will take your information and use it against you, right? Because they don't really care about you. They're going to use your information to get you to hurt you. I take the information they give me to help them. So when it comes, when, when a guy's working in the shop and he wants to go shopping and buy sneakers, I'm like, hey, didn't you say you wanted to buy that uh, $200,000 house? <laughs> right. And it's not because I don't want you to buy the sneaker. You can do whatever you want. But does that align with the vision or the goals that you told me you had for yourself. And if they don't align, then it don't make sense. Early this year before 2020 and in 2019, I told everyone, 
I'm not buying any sneakers the whole 2020. There's only one pair of sneakers that I want, and when they release, I'm going to get them. And that's it. Where I was a guy, I buy a bunch of sneakers, but what people don't realize is that for 15 years, I wasn't buying sneakers. I was taking my money and reinvesting it back into my business. I was taking my money and opening a thing. I didn't buy the fancy car. You know, I got rid of the fancy car and got a putt-putt because I put the money in the business. And so that's, that's, so when I'm speaking, I'm speaking from actual experience. I'm not, I'm taking that ammunition. And the moment that that student or that person that works at the shop says something, then I point that right back at him and say, you said this is what it was. You told me this is what you wanted to do. These were your words, not mine. I'm not making up these goals for you. These are your goals. This is what you told me you wanted to do. So that's really where that came from. It was really about getting, understanding what that person's needs, desires, and wants are, and then helping them align themselves up with those goals. Right. So I have a question. So Uh for you, were you able to, you know, point the gun at yourself to, to, you know, to motivate yourself? Or did you have someone else who was loading the gun and anytime you were, you know, getting away from your goals that... Like told you what you needed to everybody do needs some sort of mentor mentorship is free all you gotta do is look at somebody you admire and they can mentor you from a distance right coaching you pay for you you, you get someone to help coach you michael jordan the greatest basketball player of all time had a coach right you know uh phil jackson who went on to then coach kobe bryant who also was if not one of the other greatest of all times, right? Uh, Mike Tyson, one of the greatest brawlers in the boxing ring ever. He had a coach that wasn't as big and brawn and structured, but he had vision, he had insight. He knew how to make Mike Tyson better. And so you always have a coach. So when I was in eighth grade, I had a principal. The principal was the person who kind of saw something in me, pushed me, motivated me, challenged me. Um, and put me in a position of success, right? And as I was going through, then I had a youth minister at my church who put me in a position of success. And it's interesting how it all played out because my my eighth grade principal put me in all college prep courses and taught me how to be a gentleman. You know, she took me out to do things that a gentleman would do. Right. She made me put a blazer on and hold the door and chivalry and, you know, understanding what you do when you take a lady out and open the door for her and shut the door and go around the other side. Like she would teach me those things and I was learning them and she would take me to the opera houses and, you know, the fancy restaurants. I wasn't exposed to that. So she was teaching me how to be a gentleman, but she put me in college prep courses. So I had to take English classes, which taught me how to speak and have a a better vocabulary. Right. Then a youth minister in, 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 in uh, leaving junior high, going into high school, taught me how to, to, to preach and teach and speak, right? Because I was following his messages away, and he held me accountable to a standard of lifestyle. This is how you're going to be. You got to be respectful, and you can't be offensive, and you have to you know, um, be grounded. And so there was that. And then it was Champ, who was the business person in my life, um, that helped me to understand barbering and barbering business. But my mom, from the very beginning, you know, was that leader in the household who taught me how to love and show compassion and, and care for people. My dad in the house was a hard worker. So I have the mix of, of both. I'm, you know, I know how to work hard, 
but I know how to, to have humility and treat people with respect because my mom taught me that, you know? And so I carried those things and then I've always had somebody along the way um, right. be that person. But when I was young, 18, you know, um, shoot, I was 18 years old and I had an infinity. You know what I mean? I, I had an infinity was my second car. My first car was a geo tracker, you know? And then when I was about 23, I was like, I'm going to get rid of this infinity. I'm going to just get me a Honda Civic. You know, gave it to my then girlfriend at the time. They stole the car. I ended up getting a, 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 a Oldsmobile. It's called a 98. It wasn't a 1998. It was a 98 is the name of the car. <laughs> it didn't have a muffler from the catalytic converter back. And I say that because when people saw that, they were like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you were this young kid with this affinity. No, no, no. I had goals, dreams, and aspirations. So I put those things aside. And I had to remember what it was. So there were times where I point the gun back at myself. One big example, th that was one with, with opening the shots, but I'll tell you a big example. When I was 18, I said I wanted to open up a school, right? I was at, I was in cosmetology school and they asked me what, why I chose cosmetology school. Well, because there were no barber schools to go to and I was doing barber apprenticeship at the barber shop, right? So I was like, I want to get my license. Plus I want to know more because one day I want to open up a school because there wasn't a place for me to go to learn how to be a barber outside of a barbershop. And I wanted formal training. So I said that when I was 18 years old, when working in the shop, getting the manager's license, becoming a licensed teacher and no schools to work at, uh, I eventually ended up being a guy who was visiting shows. I was always going to shows, but now I was the guy participating at the show. So I was competing, I was teaching, I was training. And while I was traveling the country, working for different companies, speaking and teaching and training, I realized that I was getting away from my goal was to open up a school. And so although many barbers were like, oh, I want to work for a clipper company and I want to be on the stage and I want to travel all over the world and do that. I actually gave that up in 2008. In 2008, I gave that up and took like an eight year hiatus from shows, you know? And when I went back to shows, I was at the bottom. Guys that were coming to my classes are now working on platforms. Guys that were coming to my classes are now working with Clipper companies. Guys that were in my classes are now doing stuff. And I'm in the audience looking at them like, holy crap, I remember this dude was in my class. And then they're stopping me. I'm going into a class and the guy's like, hey, we got somebody in the room. You know, Tyreek, I got a fitted hat, a hoodie. I'm just kind of like laid back. And they're just like, hey, you know, this guy, man, this guy is a guy I used to come to the classes. Hey, could you just share something? And and people were, were seeing. So I was back, but I wasn't like back on the show circuit. I was just visiting. Mm -hmm. Actually, I was really getting a pulse for what was going on because I wanted, I had now at this point had opened up my school. I achieved that goal, you know, in 2013. So then in 2015, when I started going back to shows, it was just really to see what was happening so I can implement some of that stuff at the school. But again, I pointed the gun at myself and I said, hey, you're traveling, you're doing all this stuff. It's not aligned with the goal. You said you wanted to open up a school one day. Let's get back on track. Yeah, man. So you seem you seem like a like you're really a teacher at heart and you like and you love instilling that knowledge and in, in other people. So. Did you feel a, a better sense of accomplishment when you were watching people that you had taught up on stage opposed to like when you were back there, you know, Absolutely. up on stage yourself? Absolutely. When I was sitting, I've had those proud moments, you know, um, 
And I remember telling all the students at the school, hey, you got to come to this class. This guy who's going to be teaching this class, he was one of my protégés. He was a guy that worked with me in the barbershop. He was a guy that I trained and taught. He's going to be teaching his class. He's been all over social media. And I wasn't doing anything on social media. And so I had like eight of us. We went to this class. I'm sitting there and I'm like sitting there like a proud dad, like, yeah, this is cool, right? And it was really interesting um, that while he was speaking, he, he didn't acknowledge me at all. And I don't do stuff for acknowledgement, right? Right. But I had eight students with me. And those eight students heard me talk about him and hype mm-hmm. him up and share. So they were more disappointed in it than I was, you know? And, and they were like, dang, like he knew it. I was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know? And they're just like, no, nah, that sucks. Like, like for, and I'm like, well, I didn't do it for that. Right. So it doesn't matter whether he acknowledged me or not. And um, but yes, I've had these proud moments where I would see people on stage and, and, and just to know that I've impacted somebody's life. Absolutely. That's the reward. You know, it wasn't that they had to say, hey, this was my mentor. This was my coach. This was my doesn't matter. It, it didn't matter. The fact that I impacted their life enough for them to even tell me personally. And I know that they sat in my class meant the world to me. Right. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, I guess it, it kind of goes back to your motto of like serving yourself by serving the needs of others. And I think that like, you know, that has kind of helped you in social media as well. Would, mm-hmm. would you agree? Like just that you're giving value to, to other people um, more than you're just talking about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, in turn that, you know, build you up as well. Yeah, it was really hard to talk about myself early in the game, you know, like that, because that's not how I'm made up. But what I realized is anyone can tell a story, right? Anyone can say, yeah, there was this kid that went down the street, he went to the grocery store, he grabbed some chips and then he gave it to the homeless guy. And it doesn't matter until you say, you know, when I was 13, there was a guy by the name of John and John was this guy. And you're really telling a, from a from a place of authenticity, there's more of a connection because anyone can tell the story without the names, the players or the places. So giving those visuals, if I say I went to school with my mom and we did cosmetology together, you immediately think, man, how would that feel going to school with my mom? You know, it, it puts you in the place. So I had to learn how to actually uh, talk about myself, but not give my testimony. Like, you know, you guys go to the circuit, you've been at the shows, and it's like, wall educator so-and-so is going to get on the stage, or Andis educator so-and-so is going to get on the stage, and fabulous educator. And they go up and they say, yeah, I cut in my basement, and I did this, and I did that. And, and the whole time you're like, dude, I did not come here to hear your yeah. story. I came to be taught. Right. Teach me something. Give me some game. Nobody wants to hear somebody's biography for 45 minutes and then 10 minutes of education. I want to give you five minutes of edu- uh, of my biography or three, and then I want to give you 50 minutes of value. Right. And that's actually something we were going to ask you. It's funny you bring that up because, you know, one thing, you know, we've noticed because because we're on the industry, we weren't barbers before this. We, we kind of got into the industry on the you know, um, product manufacturing side of it. Um, and one thing we've noticed is, is getting into the industry is there's a lot of 
There's a lot of barbers, um, and it's not just barbers, companies as well that that they're you know they're showing off their gold clippers. <laughs> they're you know they're making their social media about them, and and like you know, so one thing we do is we do like private labeling. We're all about like you know barbers building a brand for themselves, mm-hmm. and it's like. I feel like there's a disconnect. You know, you see people with with cool videos and and they're showing off their gold clippers. And I guess what would you say, since, you know, you've been successful on social media, what would you say to those barbers that are trying to build a brand for themselves, um, but at the same time not making it all about themselves? You have to see yourself as a marketer first. That's That's the day that we live in. The day that we live in, you have to see yourself as a marketer first, not a creative. And you gotta be creative in your marketing. So the reason why I've been able to be successful, and again, I don't have 150,000 followers and I don't have, you know, 30,000 views per video because I'm not buying them, right? That's just the fact. So what I do have is people skills. I know what it's like to go out and pass out flyers. I know what it's like to go and connect with people in a real way. And so I take the experiences that I had in growing my business from a physical way and 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 learn how to do that and translate that to a digital world and so i'm able to communicate with people and connect with people the same way i did before there was any digital um because i i i grew up in an area where there was no social media we didn't have social media so i I learned how to communicate and grow my business through marketing guerrilla marketing passing out flyers shaking people's hands going down to the market, putting stuff at the football games, advertising, putting banners, old school stuff. You know what I mean? So I do the same stuff now digitally. Right. Is it clear? Yeah, no, I I understand. Yeah, I guess I just like, I guess like to me, it's like my question is like, if, if you're a barber just coming up in the industry, like what would you suggest they be doing on social media right now? So it, it depends on what your it, what, what your target is for. So if you want to be this Hollywood showboat barber, then do that. Then promote that. Then that's what the image that you want to put out. That you do that. I, I that's not me. So my barber shops were named Sharper Image. They weren't named Tyree Jackson's Barbershop. The shops aren't named after me. They have their own name. They have their own identity. So that's what we promote at Sharper Image Barbershop. The school has its own name, Premier Barber Institute. So we provide a premier education at our institute. Tyreek Jackson is the personality that you see on social media from Tyreek Jackson Page, who happens to own Sharper Image Barbershops and uh, Tyreek Jackson International and Premier Barber Institute. But Tyreek, the personality is who you actually get to meet in real life. When you meet Tyreek, the person, then you're like, wait, this dude is exactly who he was on social media. It's not a facade. You know, it's it's, right. it's what you see is what you get. And I think a lot of people are putting on the facade. What I've been talking about my last two lives, the last two weeks, is the facade of success versus actual success. Everyone's measuring stick for success is totally different. But what most people are influenced is the lifestyle that is created using social media to pro- project this facade of what success looks like. So you see the the Instagram models on the beach in the mimosa riding a horseback in the water <laughs> and she's promoting her lifestyle which appears successful. 
Right. Right. And you see the barber who's promoting that he's got the newest kicks and he's at the show and he got the $300 shades and his outfit is lit and he's promoting this facade of success. Here, here's exactly what's happening with the culture. I will tell you this. During COVID shutdown, there's a particular barber. I won't say his name just because I don't I won't I won't do that in this particular case, but he was on Instagram in his Instagram story saying, Yo, I'm gonna put a GoFundMe up. Me and my family, we can't eat. You know, my barber and career have been slowed down, like I can't cut right now, blah, 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 blah. Everyone's going through it, right? But he puts this up during our shutdown in Pennsylvania. Um then a few weeks after, once COVID is slowed down and people are working and doing stuff, then it was back to usual for the for, for him in particular. And I watch the page and I pay attention to what people do. And this speaks to what you're talking about. But about two weeks ago, he posted a, a, a video on his stories, who needs to own a shop? I made $300 in three hours. You know, and he's flashing his money on Instagram. It's right. the facade. Because a month and a half ago, you were talking about how you needed to go fund me so you could feed your family. Today, you're bragging about $300 that you made in a few hours. It's the facade of success. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what that's what's crippling our industry. I mean, it's helped some people to put them, you know, because their influence is now selling and it's marketable. But I don't want to put that out there. You know, when Ivan Zoot turned me down for Andis in 2004, I believe it was, um, I never looked at another Clipper company. People send me stuff all the time. I get stuff from JRL, Babylis, you know, Andis, I got some stuff from, and I've never had the desire to work for a Clipper company. Once that made, that, that gave me the understanding that I can build my own thing. I don't need to build my career off the back of another company. I can build my career based on who I am and what I do. So it really depends on what the person wants to project. Understand. Right. Yeah. So, so one thing, one last question that I have on this topic is, what would you say is the the key that really um, decides whether or not you are going to successfully create that lifestyle for yourself, rather than just give off a facade of you know, this is what it is. Like, what well, what actually leads to that success? What is the key determining factor in your opinion? So here, here's what happens with the facade of success. The facade of success is the visual. It's the lifestyle. It's that perception that you're successful. But when you actually have to prove that you're successful at something, you're going <laughs> to fail, right? You're going to fail. They're going to give you a task. You're going to work somewhere like, oh, I'm a successful educator and I got all this. And then they give you something to teach. You know, it's really here. Here's a big facade. I want to get to your question, but it, it, it brings me to this thought. You have people in their Instagram bio saying educator, 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 when really what they are is a glorified salesperson. Mm -hmm. Right. They work for a company and they're there to help sell clippers. They're not educating anything. They may give you a POV. They may give you a perspective on their approach to a haircut, but they're not educating. And they call themselves educators, right? But what, what, what seems so good is that they're telling the same, there's like a one trick pony. They're telling the same story or the same technique or the same thing 50 times a year. So 
after 20 times, you actually get really good at doing it and you make some jokes and you throw some other stuff and it sounds, it's scripted. It's the same thing and you go over new energy, but it sounds so good because you've done it 20, 30 times. What's difficult is getting in front of a classroom and teaching new material every day and keeping students inspired every day with new material, new stories, new lessons, you know, grabbing the textbook. We don't read the textbook to our students. You know, we cover the textbook, but we don't say, okay, here's paragraph, but we don't do that. We educate you. And mm-hmm. then we tell you to read. And then we bring stories and experiences and align them with the material in the textbook to help get you, give you a better understanding. That's real education. So then what happens is the facade of education, when, when a company says, hey, we want you to get on stage and you fold, you can't do what you said you do. So they train you and then you never evolve into that educator that you're proclaiming to be. So a lot of people fake it till they make it. I say faith it, believe in it, right? Until you make it. But the whole time you got to work at it. There's no faking anything because when you fake it, you will be exposed. Yeah, right. I completely agree. Yeah. In time, you'll get exposed. People will begin to see. Listen, this pandemic has exposed a lot of people. A lot, a lot of people that you seen was 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 loud on social media got very very quiet. Yeah, right. That's true. A lot of people who were traveling and doing all this stuff and they relied on travel to do all this stuff, they got very very quiet. You didn't see them, you didn't hear from them, right? And then when you're looking to the quote unquote leadership from the social media influencer who got all the answers. Now it's quiet and doesn't have anything to say, doesn't have any information to help you, doesn't have anything to guide you with. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that completely. (laughs) Um, I mean, that's one of the things you notice, too, is like uh, you could tell the difference between the authenticity of of influencers by, you know, when this, you know, I guess when the pandemic hit, who's out there trying to like you know, help you get through the pandemic and give you mm-hmm. tips on what you can be doing rather mm-hmm. than, and the, and the ones that aren't, you kind of, it, it became obvious that they were in this to build themselves up, not to right. to give you any value. Because they don't care about you unless right. you're going to buy their class, unless you're going to buy their webinar, unless you're going to go to their whatever it is or buy their t-shirt or whatever. Exactly. I mean, it's always it's always the case that like in the tough times, you really find out like people's true character and like what really a person is when it's easy. I mean, everybody seems fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I did during that during the during pandemic? We had to get creative. So I began interviewing people in China who were already outside of the shutdown. They were actually working. I interviewed people in California and Chicago, and I was going live, just getting data and getting information. And how could we get to our local senators and our legislators and our state representatives? And this is what they're doing in Chicago. This is what they did in Atlanta. This is what's happening in Maryland. And I was gathering that information and putting it out there for people for free to get the, so they can help with getting wherever state they were open. Right. right. We were helping. Um, other states get open before Pennsylvania was even open. <laughs> you know, we weren't even open yet, but but people were coming to thought leaders in PA and saying, "Hey, how can you help?" And 
you know, so we sat with our state board and we sat with legislators and local. And really what it's about is it's political. You know, how can Mm -hmm. you make adjustments political? Your voice needs to be heard. What we told them is, hey, we know who's helping us during the shutdown. So we'll we'll make sure we help you at the polls. And it was like, oh, you don't help us. (laughs) We we can't help you at the polls. You want us to vote for you. We have influence. We got thousands of customers, hundreds of thousands collectively. And we're going to say, hey, yeah, you got that right. And it made a difference. (laughs) It made a difference. It made a huge difference. You know, when companies weren't getting SBA money because they were giving it to their friends, we fought so that barbers and cosmetologists in Pennsylvania could get that money. And that's what you're talking about. People who actually freaking care, you know, doing what they can to help others in a time of need. Right. I understand, man. Um, that's awesome. I, I, you know, and, and this seems like a, a good, um, place to, to transition to this. And, you know, not only are, are we going through the pandemic in our, in our country right now, um, we're, we're also going through a, a, I guess a, a momentous civil rights movement as well. Mm-hmm. Social unrest. Right. And, and I just wanted to, you know, kind of get your perspective on, on, you know, as far as you know, being a black barber, and, and a lot of people are unaware of just the, the history and the roots that you know that that barbering um, is built in with um, with the African American community. So, I mean, what does that mean to you? And 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 you know, I guess what are what are the roles of, of black barbers in um, in all of this? So, you know, I have a barber who who's out protesting and he's out speaking and he's you know they're you know rallying people together. And he's he's a peaceful guy, right? He just wants love. He wants everyone to get along. Like that's he's that's he's always been that guy, right? And I, I told him before he stands behind the movement, he has to understand what the movement is. We all we can all get mixed up emotionally into what things are, not really knowing what they are because of how we feel. Right. So um, when it comes to, to the social unrest, not just the, I think I, I did a whole live on this, so I can really speak to to my my thoughts on what you're asking. So we had COVID and we had this shutdown, we had this pandemic and everyone was shut down. What people had was time. And during that time, we had time to absorb. We had time to listen. We had time to see. When before that, we didn't have time. We would go to work, we pick up our kids, we go to work, we pick up our kids, we go to work, we come home, we cook, whatever it was. And you see something happy like that, that's messed up. And you just kind of go with your day and then Somebody puts a post and you're like, yeah, that sucks. I feel you on that. And you put your statement on there and then you just kind of go through your day. But you didn't have time to absorb what was happening because you were busy going through your day. But once the shutdown happened, all we had was time. We didn't have nowhere to go. We didn't have anything. All we had was social media and our immediate families. So we had the time to absorb. We had the time to process. We had the time to think and feel. Right. And so the moment you see something that just wasn't right, there was such an outrage. It doesn't mean that it wasn't happening before. We're just hypersensitive to it now because we have the time to feel and absorb. And so what what I think needs to happen when it comes to uh, how barbers um, are dealing with the social unrest, especially, especially, you know, of African-American descent, black barbers, Latino barbers. I live in a very diverse community. My community has just 
an enormous amount of diversity. Our high school has over 150 different languages that attend the high school. Okay, we have refugees from all over the world that that are welcome into our county because of the amount of help that our community provides to refugees. So I grew up in a culture where we help people, we help one another. That every year there's this huge race against racism in our town. I mean, it is ginormous. It's right on the block of where my shop is. And so our shop is shut down for three, four hours because of this race. And it's been like that longer. I've been there 17 years and the race has been happening longer than that. Okay. So I come, I have a a little bit of a different perspective when it comes, because I'm not in an area that's just predominantly black or an area that's just predominantly white or an area that's just predominantly Latino. You know, I'm in a very diverse community that comes to support the different cultures and different people and they stand up for one another. So uh, we didn't have a lot of the, the hate crimes and the, the, the burning and the, the destruction that you were seeing all over social media. We didn't have that. Okay. So we didn't, we didn't get the outrage, but like in, in as a barber, when you and a cosmetologist, when you understand how hair color works, there's the, the color wheel. And whenever you have a certain particular shade of color in your color that you don't want, you have to complement that color. So for example, if you go to color somebody's hair a brownish, uh, maybe level five, level uh, seven, whatever brown, and it has a green tint to it, you need to add some red to complement it. It's the opposite is what's going to neutralize or normalize that color. So for all my uh, colorists who are listening to the podcast, all of the barbers that are listening to the podcast and understand how color works, you know that if you have brassy yellow hair, you put blue or violet to complement that brassy or yellow to make it more of a platinum white looking color and ash it out. That's what you understand. So my metaphor in using hair color to help you understand is with all the social unrest, we have to provide some opposite to normalize and neutralize it. We got to add more love, more compassion, more understanding, more care, more concern, and not get wrapped up emotionally in what's happening. It doesn't mean that you don't feel it and that your feelings are void, okay, or non-existent. It only means that you are aware of it. You have to learn to not allow your emotional feelings to affect your business dealings which can be very challenging for some, you know, but you have to, when you have an emotional response to everything that someone says or does to you, you actually give power over to them. Right. That's true. I mean, you're letting them control, you know, your mood and your behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, that's one of the things that I teach. And so my guy at the, at the shop, I said, look, I'm all for what you're doing. You know, just make sure you know what you're standing behind. You know, just make sure you know exactly what they mean, what they represent, who they are and what you because you're a representation of yourself, you're a representation of us. And then I I made it clear, like in the barbershop, people want to come get a haircut. They don't want to talk about the president. 
They don't want to talk about politics. They don't want to talk about hate. They don't want to talk about social unrest. They want a haircut. Exactly. So, and, I, and I like that I like that metaphor. I had absolutely no idea where he were going with that, but you really <laughs> really brought it back. Came back. With the color? <laughs> yeah, color with the hair colors. Cuz I don't I guess I know nothing about hair coloring, so that would uh that one really threw me for a loop for a second. I tell you what, I know all of our our, our colorists who are going to be listening to this, they're going to be like, "Yeah, that's that absolutely right." And it's going to give them a different visual, you know. It it really really is. It's it, it's challenging. You you got to you got to give the opposite. The opposite is what's going to neutralize it. No, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Okay, Hannah, how do you? Uh, just one more, I guess, comment on that, like, because I know you've also kind of talked about how the barbershop was social media before we had social media. Mm-hmm. So I guess how does that tie in between like that balance between you know people who want to get a haircut, you definitely don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and, and push reviews on them, but at the same time, it's like it seems like the barbershop's always been a center of of our culture and. And it, it could be an interesting place for you know the barbershop since the beginning of history has been a place where you go get the information, mm-hmm. right? It's where everything takes place. You want to know who did what? You can find out at the bar. All you have, if you want, <laughs> I don't care what city you go to, I don't care where you live, it does not matter. It doesn't matter if you want to get a pulse on the city, the area, the community. Go to the barbershop. Go to several barbershops. Because you're going to get a feel for what that community represents. You're going to get a feel for what's around you because everything comes to the barbershop. You know, um, it's it, it's just it's one of those places where a guy who owns a company and is worth millions of dollars can sit in the same room with another guy who's unemployed. But they can sit there and talk about the basketball game and have some commonality in a place where really they came because they have the same barber and they enjoyed the conversation with that barber, not knowing anything about one another. Right. The the, the, the guy who's unemployed, you know, doesn't know that that guy's a millionaire and can probably give him a job. The guy who's a millionaire doesn't know that that guy is homeless. He's just sitting there having a conversation, not homeless, but just unemployed temporary for whatever reason you know but just sitting there and having good dialogue about stuff that they have interest and it's a place where you would never it it, outside of the barbershop you won't see them anywhere together that's true they're not going to the country club together they're not going to be you know in the backyard barbecuing on the weekends together it's not going to happen it only happens at the barbershop where they connect with one another, they they see the common interest, they get to talk to one another, they feel for one another, and then they become, they have this relationship. They look forward to seeing John every two weeks at the barbershop and having a conversation with them and 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 revisiting or finishing the conversation. You know, like my daughter's getting married, and it's like, man, that's man, how was the wedding? Oh man, it was awesome. And they're talking, but don't know that they live in two different worlds. Right. Unless they're paying attention. Unless they see the guy driving off in his BMW and the other guy walking up the street to go home. It's the only time if they're paying attention. They're not looking at each other's shoes and clothes and they're having a conversation. And it's one thing I absolutely love about 
the barbershop. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. It's a great sentiment. You're you're totally right about it. That seems like a a, a good good spot to end it. We always do uh, one thing with uh, with every guest though um, that, that comes on. Okay. Uh, we ask, uh, what is the craziest story you've got from all your time in the industry? Anything that sticks out? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. It's probably hard to narrow it down. Yeah, <laughs> you can always just pick one, but craziest story that happened in the barbershop uh, or just in the industry in general. Um, Man, I mean, you know, I'll tell you something that, that, (laughs) my mind's all over the place because I'm thinking, don't want to say that, don't want to share this. How about that? (laughs) I don't know if this is going to make sense, you know, if if they're going to connect with that. Um, my place is a place of refuge. It's a place where some people get away from where they are. It's a place where they're accepted. It's a place where we don't look at your differences and we accept you for who you are. We always get a special needs person that ends up coming to the barbershop for some reason, somehow. And um, a few years ago, we had a guy by the name of Jeff Jeff was a very interesting individual. Jeff looked like he was homeless, but he wasn't. Jeff was very funny. He needed some dental work. He had a few missing teeth. He called himself Jeff Gumprint. Okay? And he said, because when he get with a girl, he leave his print on him. <laughs> right? And he was just very funny. He had all these funny stories. And... um you, you know, Jeff would come around and he was the type of person that if you saw him coming down the street, you'd move to the side. You wouldn't want to get too close just because of the way he looked. But he came into the barbershop and we accepted him. And I will tell you what, everybody loved Jeff. Jeff had the most amazing stories. He made people laugh. And in his passing... We learned more about Jeff than we knew in the three years that he was just hanging out with us every day. Jeff came to visit us every day. We didn't know that he paid his rent for the year. We didn't know that he took uh, a single mom's child to school every day so that she can go to work. We didn't know that he took lunch to a few homeless people every day because that's just what he did. Jeff would come into the barbershop and sweep the hair for you know, two, three dollars. He would clean your station for three, five dollars. He would throw out the trash for three or five dollars. He would run errands and then you'd take him out to eat and you'd hang out with him. And you just didn't know all this other stuff. It was in his passing at his funeral that not only did we get up to speak about him, but so many other people. We learned all these other things and we're all looking at each other like, are you kidding me? Jeff was hanging out with us every day, but his rent was paid for the year. Like, He just enjoyed serving. He lived what I believe and live in. He served his needs by serving the needs of others first. And so when you talk about crazy, that's what I think crazy is, is that because we have embraced people and accepted people for who they are without judging them and making them feel at home, we found a friend that gave us a lifetime of memories and we never judge them by what they look, but only the content of the character. 
and who he was in the barbershop, he made everyone laugh. And people were like, is he homeless? Is he a crackhead? What's up with him? He was none of those things. Wow. He was classic, none of those things. Classic and example. I, oh, yeah. I would encourage you guys, if you go into my Instagram, I am Tyreek Jackson, and my highlights, there is some highlight videos of Jeff Gumprint. If you want to laugh, by the end of it, you'll probably cry. But I promise you, you will understand what I mean when I say Jeff Gumprint and how we just embrace you'll look at him and be like yeah this is exactly what i pictured in my head and then you'll <laughs> listen to him and you'll laugh and you'll continue to laugh through the different stories and the different jokes and the different things people on instagram this is why it gets crazy would hit me up and say i look forward to seeing jeff on your instagram page every thursday every friday and every saturday i took him to the connecticut barber expo and people were stopping him to take <laughs> pictures with him and not asking me anything. <laughs> and that was the impact that he left on people because I was sharing those things through my social media platform. Not to mock him, not to make fun of him, but because I loved him, because he was part of my life. And so I'm just being transparent and showing this is who we are, this is who he is, and he's here. And I promise you, he took so many pictures he couldn't go to the bathroom one point because on his way to the bathroom people were just stopping him he said i got to go pee <laughs> <laughs> so well, yes i i think that's one of the craziest things is just just accepting people for who they are and and um, allowing people to be themselves you know not trying to change anyone and just embracing that you know, and living in that, I think that was probably the, the coolest thing to see him feel all the people who loved him and watched him through my social media. They had they felt like they had a relationship with him because of it. And when they saw him in person, he was everything that they expected him to be because it wasn't a facade. It was authenticity at its finest. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy, it's an amazing story. Um, he sounds like an inspiration. I know, uh, you know, you've been an inspiration to, to many as well. So, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And I think your message of, uh, serving your needs by serving the needs of others is something that, uh, that everybody needs to, to implement. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you, uh, coming on the show and talking to us, Tyreek. Yeah, my pleasure. Listen, I know, um, it's, it's been fun. Um, I, I really enjoy doing these. So uh, maybe we'll set up another one. Let's see what happens. You get some feedback from this one. If people want to ask questions and do some more, uh, have them drop their questions in there. And let's do like a Q&A session or something or whatever we can. If you guys want to have me back, let them know you want to have me back on the podcast and we'll do another one. Sounds good. That's we awesome, definitely man. will. We really uh, appreciate hey, it. What, what do you, uh, what do you want to plug? I know you got your Instagram I, um, at I am Tyreek Jackson. Yep. Um, you got the lives on Tuesday, so right? So that's real. That's really the most important thing I think that I push on my social media is the Tyree Talk Tuesdays. So um, Tyree Talk Tuesday is really, really important to me. Um, every Tuesday morning, nine thirty a.m., I do a live feed, uh, just sharing perspective, business, emotional life experiences uh, through business, through barbering. Um, primarily, I use barbering a lot in these stories and and really how 
how it started was I had a uh, student when Instagram first started going live. She says your your her name was Elena Cook. She said, you know, you always talk about we need to be you know using social media for whatever it is, and um, uh, you need to start going live. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to do that right now. She's like, no, 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 you should. I said, if I go live, and uh, and it's positive. I'm going to continue to do it because that's how I'm made up. And I just don't want to commit to that right now. So she said, look, I'll hold the phone. You just do what you're doing. So I said, okay, I agreed to it. She, she turned it on. It was a Tuesday morning. She, we went live and she's like, you got 12 people. And I'm like, we got 12 people on the live. I was so (laughs) excited that 12 people wanted to listen to whatever it was I was talking about. Right. And I was like, this is so awesome. So we ended the live and she said, I can't wait till next week. I said, what's next week? She said, next <laughs> week, you're going to do Tyreek Talk. To-. I said, ho, 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 slow down, slow down. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do that. And um, one of the students was like, no, we paying money to come to school to learn how to be a barber. And he's giving away for free on Instagram. We're not doing that. <laughs> she says, she says, first off, you're paying to learn how to be a barber. These are life skills that everyone can benefit from. Okay, so you we got him all day long. We only giving him away for an hour, and we getting the same thing he giving him. So sit down with that. It was so funny, and I was like, <laughs> no, I'm with him, right? I'm like, I'm with him. Like we're not gonna do any of this. So that Monday that came up, she came up to me. She says, I'm so excited about tomorrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? What's tomorrow? She goes, tomorrow you're going live again. We're doing Tyreek Talk Tuesday. I said, I'm not going to do Tyreek Talk Tuesdays. I'm serious. I'm not trying to commit to that. (laughs) And um, what happened was there was a lot of people in the DMs responding to the live from the day from the one before. And I was like, you know what? You got to do it. (laughs) I'm going to do it. So I ended up doing it. It became a positive thing and people were really uh, enjoying it. And dude, we went from 12 to 32 to, you know, I was excited when I was like 32. Like, this is awesome. And we've been growing it. Um, But two months after we started Tyree Talk Tuesday, Elena Cook passed away. And so uh, it's really important for me to continue to do those because she believed in it so much. She believed in me. And uh, it really started from doing positive quotes in the school for 15 minutes every day before we start, like something to get the just the mind going. Mm-hmm. And um, that was it. And it was because my mom put post-its in the bathroom in the morning before I brushed my teeth, so I would see them. So I just kind of took what my mom implemented at school, and now we have Tyree Talk Tuesdays where we just kind of keep that going every single tuesday i probably took off four weeks in the last four years um of doing tyree talk tuesday i've done them on family vacation so guys tune in tyree talk tuesdays it goes down we do giveaways all kinds of stuff uh i would appreciate your support all you gotta do is share it let people know where we're at and we'll see you there all right appreciate it i at i am tyree jackson tyree talk tuesdays at 9 a.m eastern is that right 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. 9.30 a.m. Eastern. All right. Well, appreciate it, Tyreek. Yep, you got it. Thanks, guys. That was Tyreek Jackson. Find him on Instagram at I am Tyreek Jackson. You can find us at Forge Hairscape or at ForgeHairscape.com. And until next time, this has been The Forge.